Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome into the lead block. Matthew, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. How about you? My name is Tyler Walters. I'm your host, the voice you just heard, Matthew Anderson. He's here with me. Before we get into the show, go follow the show on Twitter at the lead underscore block. Matthew at Matt the Chosen One with the number one, and myself at Tyler Walters CNR on Twitter and Instagram for for everything for all three of us there, the show and um, and myself and Matthew. Um, good weekend in college football overall. Uh, and when we looked at the slate last week, I think I was a little disappointed in some of the matchups um, because obviously we focus mostly SEC. And this SEC, this week 13, has been a problem for the SEC the last two years, I want to say, with Alabama playing Western Carolina this week, you know, at the end of the season when um, we're trying to differentiate team, the top tier of teams, the top four teams from the rest of the teams in the country. You want to see those teams who are trying to get in top four spots actually play good competition uh, to try to claim one of those spots. And that is true for, you know, as far as you're not going to see a big out-of-conference matchup this late in the season, but you still see good conference matchups this week in pretty much every conference except the SEC and the ACC. Uh, But we'll start right there with a conference matchup that happened out west last night, uh, Saturday night. Number six, Oregon goes to Arizona State, and they just get beat. Yep. And it looked to me like uh, Oregon just – I thought they were going to answer at some point, but uh, Arizona State was able to just hold them off at the end. And this is pretty much just – Oregon is now just out of the college football playoff altogether. Yeah, and even now, it kind of hurts Utah a little bit too because they obviously, Utah and, and Oregon are in opposite divisions of the Pac-12. And so what happens here is even if Utah beats some of the Pac-12 championship, it's kind of looked upon by really who is Oregon. Oregon's now 9-2. and two. They were the four. I think they might be now. But anyway, the 14th uh, ranked team in the country. Arizona State, the quarterback. Yeah, like to see them. And the uh, AP poll, yeah, they're 14. Yeah, Jaden Daniels, 22 for 32 for 408 yards and three touchdowns. You got Herm Edwards, the big win against Oregon. Yeah, uh, that's that's something I wrote down about this game. Remember, you know, what, two years ago, I guess, almost, when Arizona State announced Herm Edwards as a coach? I certainly thought it was a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought there's no way that Herm Edwards is going to be able to re- not only return to football and coach, but return to uh, football in the collegiate football world Yeah, and be able to recruit and have success in a conference where you have teams like Oregon and Utah and Washington's down this year, Washington, Washington State, who's also down this year, um, and you have a, a Southern Cal team that's kind of rising, you know, back. It, it's getting there. Um, and you have plenty of competition in that conference. And then to go to somewhere like Arizona State and have a little bit of success immediately – um, it's it's surprising because last year Arizona State won, what, eight games, I think? Yeah, I think so. And they could easily win eight games again this year. They're at six now. They're, they're bowl eligible. Um, and then they play Arizona next week, who Arizona has been one of the worst teams in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah. Uh, I think they're ranked below Colorado in, in their division. So if you're, you know, um, 
in the Colorado region of the Pac-12, you're not doing great. <laughs> you're not on the up and up. No. And Arizona State is going to probably beat Arizona. And then they're going to have a bowl game left to get eight wins again. Yeah. Um, and now we're not talking about can Arizona can Herm Edwards work at Arizona State. The conversation is starting to change, I think, if they win eight games again this year. Um, from can Arizona State, can this actually work with Herm to, okay, it, it works. Can they be, now can they be a legitimate team in the Pac-12 and compete for Pac-12 championships? Yeah, and out in Arizona, they don't really, not they don't care about football, but actually one of my sister's friends graduated from there. She's like, football is like, you know, something to do, almost like kind of like California, but obviously not quite as big as California. And so it's like, for them, eight wins in a year, he's doing an excellent job. Yeah. Like, sign, let's get him a new contract. Like, this is our guy. So the expectations aren't quite what they are here in the SEC, so they're probably loving the hire about right now. Yeah, um, when you look around at a lot of the hires made around the country in the last three, four, five years, um, this is probably the most – this one has worked out better than most, I'd yeah. say, for a team on Arizona State's level, right, who you're not going to go get, you know, uh, Jimbo Fisher is not coming to coach at Arizona State, um, he, but he did leave Florida State for A&M. You know, you're not, you can't get that kind of a coach. But what you can do is try to go out, and, and schools like this often find themselves – Example A, right here in Columbia, South Carolina, find themselves, you know, in, in this current state of college football, looking for a coach who has a little bit of uh, experience, but you think can, you know, you're taking a gamble. Yeah. And you certainly took a gamble with Herm Edwards, but I think more so Arizona State saw the kind of the person who Herm Edwards was and decided to align their their football team and their university with the, his character from top to bottom. And I think that says so much about how you should hire a coach is you not all the time can you hire a coach who can win, um, but someone who fits into your university. And it certainly seems, you know, whenever I do the rare occasions I hear Arizona State's AD speak or I see anything in, in an article about him online um, when I'm looking at kind of the Pac-12 landscape it's always him and Herm um, and, and their universities seem to be aligned and have the same core values Yeah, and that's worked for them surprisingly well uh, very early in Herm's Arizona State tenure and I don't know how long how long is this going to work, I, I think it could keep going for a little while because you have, like, this is very just shocking to me. Yeah. And every time I turn on Arizona State, I see Herm on the sidelines. Like, he doesn't look out of place. Like, he's ready to coach football team. And now I think this is a legitimate chance with a win like this against Oregon at home, get a few more recruits, grab one or two guys who are on the bubble, and you can start – to, this lays the foundation for a start to be able to be a team like I was just saying that can compete for Pac-12 championships. Hundred percent. It's like when it, it's like that big one. It's like what a lot of USC fans thought of that USC Georgia. It's like, okay, this is our game, and let's build a, moving forward here. 
I wonder was Herm depend. Uh, how can I say this? I wonder was Herm going to come back to coaching anyway, or was this like a unique fit or like a situation where he really wanted to be there? I think from what I've heard from Herm about it is that it was more the latter. Like he wanted to. This just kind of worked out. He was interested. It's football. You know, he he loves. He said he loves football. Loved coaching, um, and never really took his name out of the hat. Yeah. But it would have to be something kind of like this where it seems to their Arizona State's brand and Herm Edwards' brand seem to align very well uh, for this to work out. And for them to be an eight-win season, I mean, like, there's a lot of schools who've hired guys in the last two years looking around saying, hmm, wish I had took a shot on a guy similar to Herm. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that'll sway the opinions of boards and presidents and athletic directors as they go into this offseason looking, you know, those that will lose a coach for one reason or another, those that are looking to hire another coach. Do I think Herm Edwards will work in the SEC? No. I think no. he would be ripped apart immediately. Uh, I think, like, just like what you just said, Arizona State football is something that happens versus football in the South is everything that happens. Um, I don't think something, a project like this could work here. Um, I could be wrong. I didn't think it worked at Arizona State, and it has. But... Like, I, I got to think that university presidents, especially around that the Pac-12 region, will look at what they've done at Arizona State and maybe try to make a similar hire in the fact of they're going to go chase someone who maybe hasn't just been proven on the football field uh, in the last few years. Herm's been out of coaching for however long, and he was in the NFL. Uh, but someone who you kind of believe you can structure your program around. And I think that's kind of the reason Arizona State's maybe had success. Yeah, and then on top of that, like I said earlier with the quarterback, Jaden Daniels, he is a freshman. I'm almost 100% yes. sure. So you have your guy that, that you could build around and go see what y'all can do next. We'll jump back to the Oregon side of this game. Um, Oregon is going to win the Pac-12 North. Uh, they're they're shooing. But they – which the Pac-12 championship is next Friday, December 5th, 6th, whatever. Yeah, they're 6th, always whatever. on Friday. It's always, yeah. yeah. I love that, by the way. I yeah. love the Friday matchup. I mean, Pac-12's been on on Fridays for a good bit of the year, for the early part of the season. The Pac-12 game on every Friday. Um, Pac-12, a great football weekend this weekend. we got another game in here from the Pac-12 to talk about. But they're going to face Utah as it sits right now. But Utah still has to play Colorado next week. And if they don't beat Colorado and Southern Cal wins out, Southern Cal will be in the Pac-12 championship. Southern Cal with the ultimate turnaround. They could, I mean, they could get in. Uh, now, I think Utah will probably beat Colorado, a team that's struggled, and I think they're four wins right now. Um, and hit that hit that standings right there, Matthew, and tell me what they're at. Right. And Colorado is at... Colorado currently overall are five and six with five and a six. three and five uh, conference. Okay, so there you, there you go. Colorado five and six, a team that could be bowl eligible if they beat Utah, or will be bowl eligible if they beat Utah. Um, and if Utah doesn't win this game, there have been a lot of games where Utah has showed weaknesses. There, like last Saturday night, they didn't. They played Arizona. I think they gave up seven points. Uh, but I went back and looked at a lot of their games today in, in the season. It, I don't fully buy into the Utah mindset that they can just steamroll and actually play with, with everyone. And I saw Peter Burns 
um, from the SEC Network, who I love, tweet out that he wants to see Utah in the if they win the Pac-12 championship in the college football playoff. I just, I don't, I, I can't buy into them. I don't think they can compete with Alabama, you know, who they would be taking the spot. LSU, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, those teams, I don't think Utah is there. I think Oregon could be. Yeah. Uh, and I think Oregon just, I mean, slipped up and lost, and it's going to cost them, clearly. But I don't, I don't, looking at Utah's games this year, I don't think they are, are the same level. I don't think their offense can compete. And I think their defense, if you play someone like LSU, Utah's defense is not going to hold up against LSU. It's the same that we keep talking about this. You know, everyone talks about the great defense at Utah. They have 300-plus yards to Southern Cal's third-string quarterback this year. So in his first start, um, maybe second start. Either way, this defense is, you know, hasn't proven to be locked down every week like some of the other ones across the country have. Clemson, Ohio State. Um, they're a very beatable team. And I, I still, right now, if Utah if Utah does go on to beat Colorado next week, which I expect they will, I would st- I'm still going to pick Oregon to win the Pac-12 championship. I, and I think what, what just happened was in this Arizona State-Oregon game is the Pac-12 for sure lost its bid to get into yeah, the Yeah, they took a playoff. big loss right there. Because I think you're going to have now have two two lost teams, and you're not getting them with a two-loss team in the Pac-12. And so it sounds like what you're saying is like um, Utah would be the Notre Dame from last year. Like They get into the playoff with the big guys and they yeah. end up getting demolished. Yeah, yeah I, I believe so. I mean, Utah is – they won a Sugar Bowl, what, 10 years no, ago now against – Alabama. Um, is that when Urban Meyer? Or that before? no, that was after Urban. BC, when this is the BCS was still around, and they're maybe the next to last year of the BCS. Last few years of the BCS, they played a Sugar Bowl and they beat Alabama. Um, but and they've beaten some bigger teams like that. But you can't compare those bowl games to a college football playoff game because. Alabama and the Sugar Bowl. The Sugar Bowl is not what it was 60 years ago when everyone's happy to be going to the Sugar Bowl. It's a good bowl game, but it's not the top. Yeah. Um, and, and you're not getting, you know, you want to win on game day, but it's hard not to look across the aisle and say, man, I really should be in that playoff game. Take, take Auburn, for example, when they lost to UCF a few years ago. Uh, it's hard not to look across the aisle and go, man, we should be playing the college football playoff and we messed up and this is just a game we got to go get on the field for. Yeah, you just kind of sleepwalk your way through and end up losing the game. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on from from that, that Pac-12 game for now. Um, we'll go to the biggest matchup of the weekend, number eight, Penn State, at number two, Ohio State. Ohio State wins 28-17. Just a suffocating performance from the Ohio State defense. Go ahead. Um, and I watched the first half. I left in the third quarter to go grab something from the store, and I came back, and Brendan was telling me that was the most interesting part of the game because <laughs> I missed the third quarter where Penn State made it interesting for a little bit. It was like a whole different ball game whenever that backup quarterback went in the game. Yeah. yeah. What, what was what's that? I can't remember that kid's name. I know he's number seven. I'll look it up. I'll get back with you. Um, but, yeah, in the first half, it certainly looked like Penn State definitely had his chances, right? They drop a pick on the first drive. And then they get a fumble uh, from Justin Fields a, f- a few drives later. And Will, Will Levis or Levis? Levis, yeah, I, I can't remember. I don't think that's how you, I'm not saying that right for sure. But he comes in, what, second half and, yeah. and helps him out a little. Yeah, Deshaun Clifford went out with an injury. Yeah, and but Penn State started this game off, and they had multiple opportunities 
You can't drop a pick on the, on the first play at Ohio State, or on the first drive. You get that interception that just changes everything right there from the start. It sets the tone that you want for that game. But you let Ohio State continue that drive, and I believe they scored a touchdown on. And then the next drive, Fields fumbles on the goal line. You get a huge break. you got to find a way to march down the field. I mean, I get it's 99 yards. you got to find a way to march down the field and at least score three points there if you really want to win this game. And I felt like Penn State was never able to, on offense, at least in the first half, weren't able to capitalize on their defense's uh, big plays. Yeah. And the defense couldn't capitalize on every big play that's in front of them. And to beat a team like Ohio State, that's something you have to do. Yeah, and one thing I was trying to figure out was why they would not double-team Chase Young. Chase Young had three-and-a-half sacks in the game. He now has a single-season uh, sack record for the Buckeyes with 16-and-a-half sacks uh, on the year. And that's something to say, being that the Bosa brothers just left Ohio yeah. State. You know, they have a lot of really good uh, defensive linemen come through there. But that, it, finally, that seems like they started doing more so towards the end. But it was like every single, I would say, third down, Chase Young was getting the sack. I'm like, either have the tight end, chip him, or the running back. But eventually, they figured it out. But, yeah. So. Yeah, that was something they pointed out in the broadcast is that how little Chase Young was being – Double teamed and in certain, I think in the second half of the game he was double teamed more. Yeah. But in the first first what first play of the game, second play of the game, he gets a sack. It's an interruption in the backfield. I mean, he's back from the very start, so you knew he was going to be a problem going in. And your game plan for Chase Young was to not game plan for Chase Young. It was to game plan for a, just a regular defensive end, and that's not who you're facing. Um, and, and that's a lack of just coaching effort. You know, you got. You have to prepare your offensive line, and you have known who you were facing for seven days now. You know the guy lining up across from you is Chase Young. you got to figure out a way to get your offensive lineman help because you cannot block him one-on-one yeah. in college football. And then it got to the point where the offensive linemen were getting false start. Well, that, that I think that's the right tackle. Was getting a false start, but he just was like just trying to anticipate it. How would you compare Chase Young to Clowney as far as this year? Um, this year? Yeah. I don't – to Clowney's best year, which is that year they, I think, USC played. George. Was that 2011, maybe? Yes, uh, when they, yeah, when when he, the year they played Michigan in the Capital One Bowl. Yeah. Uh, to Clowney's best year, I don't, I don't know if Chase Chase Young is, didn't get the hype coming into this year that Clowney got for sure, and Clowney lived up to that hype. So it, it's kind of difficult to compare the two of them. I I think most people still take Clowney. Okay. Ten times out of ten. I would. Ten times out of ten. Maybe that's bias. Uh, it definitely is. And, <laughs> 100%. But when you saw Clowney, Larry had, and Chase Young's done the same thing this year, Clowney has had just big play after big play after big play and big game after big game after big game. And the bigger the game, the bigger he was. And Chase, you can say the same exact thing about Chase Young. He had, what, five sacks against Wisconsin earlier this yeah, year? Yeah, he was getting after it. And he comes out, their biggest game to date was Wisconsin, and um, or to Friday's date. And then Saturday he comes out against Penn State. Their second, or their now their biggest game of the season has three and a half sacks. They play Michigan next week. Michigan better figure out a way to game plan for Chase Young and find a way for their offensive lineman to at least contain him yeah. for most of the game because he's going to be a disruptor and he's going to make plays. That's just going to happen. But you have to do every single thing you can for them. When those plays to hap- when those plays happen and he does make a play, that it doesn't kill you. 
Yeah. Penn State got murdered by some of the plays that he made in the second half in the late part of the game. Uh, and it was it because, they, I mean, they left no other options for themselves. When they let Chase Young control that game yeah. from the defensive line. And you just can't have that happen. I look for them to either do what some teams decide to do, have a tight end chip and have the running back there to protect the quarterback. You can do that. Also, sometimes what guys do is they do have it like a read option type situation. They try to read him and see how he reacts. So, therefore, if he jumps on the running back, the quarterback runs a little bit. You know, Patterson can run the ball a little bit. Yep. So, I don't know how Michigan will attack it. I'm sure Harbaugh has already got this game plan started because, you know, what is this? This is the – this against the, they call them the big what the team the from game. up north the game uh, the team from the north Michigan yeah, yeah. the team from up north and all in the big hand yeah uh, so I mean that won't be it for sure and we'll we'll get into that on our next episode but Ohio State is the I it's hard not to say they're the most complete team in the country yeah uh, but you look at this as well and there's no reason LSU shouldn't be number one. LSU's Texas win, you kind of take a good bit away from that now, which sucks for them because they played a top-10 team on the road early in the season. But numbers in front of names in the beginning of the season don't really mean anything. And, and they scheduled a big-time game, LSU did, and went there and won. But now, looking at Texas, who just lost to Baylor and we'll get to later in the show, how can you compare that? And now you look at Ohio State, who has beaten Wisconsin and Penn State, but they still haven't played a road game, which will come next week at Michigan. Who could not be hotter? This is the hottest they've been in, I don't know. In a while here. Forever? Yeah. So it's it's tough. Uh, it's going to be tough for Ohio State to win no matter what. But I think Michigan actually now, I, this game just got a lot more interesting than it was just a few weeks ago, the Ohio State-Michigan game. It is at the big house, right? Yes, it, it is in Ann Arbor. Uh I will say, Clemson and Ohio State, two most complete teams in the country. I don't think there's really any argument that, seeing how LSU's defense gives up 30 regularly, but their offense can score 50. Uh, that semifinal game will be ridiculous if it ends up being Ohio State 2, Clemson 3. Yeah. yeah. That'll, that'll be just an amazing game. And one thing, after watching this game, and if they do end up playing Clemson, whoever they end up playing – you see how much Ohio State puts the ball on the ground? Like, and it also, I think the whole fan base, because uh, go back here, Justin Justin Fields had two fumbles, and I think Dobbins had one, which had a really weird bounce to it. But yeah, like Clemson and Ohio State right now, I think if that's going to be the matchup, I'm taking Ohio State just because Ohio State has, although it, it is at home that they've proven it, they have played stiff competition in Wisconsin and Penn State. And... If they end up, you know, in the college ball playoff, that will mean they will they will have beaten Michigan and Minnesota probably, and in the Big Ten championship game. So that's more two more top ten teams. They will have proven they can beat top ten teams, and Clemson hasn't because they haven't played any top ten teams or any ranked teams, for that matter, uh, or. I mean, any team outside of Texas A&M, top 35 or 40 in the U.S. Yeah. But I do think Clemson, like, that that game that, that game will be just unreal. And I really hope we as college football fans get rewarded for that and get to actually see Clemson play probably the, the team that matches up best with them in the country in Ohio State 
And I mean, that'll just be terrific. I, I, I really hope that happens. Uh, or maybe both of them lose and chaos just starts and no one knows what happens and who gets in. Yeah, and chaos would erupt. Yeah, it'd be interesting because in that game, Clemson would be depending upon them being in the playoff as much as they had, like their experience. Yeah. Uh, and then you would also have Chase Young getting after Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence isn't necessarily a dual threat, but he can run the ball a little bit. So that'd be a great matchup to see. That really, I guess, I don't know. Which, which would you think more people look forward to seeing that Ohio State defense versus that Clemson offense or vice versa? I don't. That's tough to say. I think they're very similar in the fact that they're both complete, right? They have two um, legitimate quarterbacks, Heisman candidates, yes, but neither of them will win the Heisman. I mean, we, you know, said four weeks ago that Trevor Lawrence is not winning the Heisman. He's not. Uh, you know, I think he snuck his way back into the top six or seven there, but the gap between five and one is tremendous. Yeah, it's, it's Joe Burrow's. Uh, but you have that dynamic. You have the running backs with Dobbins and ETN. Yeah. You have two very good offensive lines. You have two very good defensive lines. You have Chase Young. Clemson's got plenty of playmakers on their defensive side. Uh, and you have, you know, I mean, just two very well-rounded teams, teams that seem to be coached very well, that avoid mental mistakes. Um, and when they do make mistakes like fumbling the football in Ohio State's case, they are able to rely on their defense to pick them back up and maintain uh, the the margin that error of, from their you know offense or what, whatever it is. Um, you got anything else on Ohio State you want to? Yeah, talk about? I remember what I was thinking about the Justin Fields thing. I don't know if it was the third or the fourth quarter. He went down. And he was like just like laying there for a second. I think that scared everybody in that stadium because it's like, yo, we are like literally we've gotten through. Well, not the roughest part, but more of the games. We literally need him now. Like this is not a case where it's like, oh, we can throw a backup in because next week we have Michigan. You know, we have the Big Ten championship. But he got up and he ran off. So hopefully he'll be fine there. Yeah, because right now they really need him for now all the way to the hopefully the playoff. Yeah, for as lack of days school as Ohio State schedule has been, and I get. You've got the Joel class of the world talking about, well, their schedule hasn't really been that bad. I don't I don't know. I don't buy, It hasn't been bad. It's just been very average. Yeah. Uh, they certainly better than the schedule that Alabama has played. Up until this point, Ohio State's schedule has been, you know, the, kind of me- mediocre. Like, they played some decent competition, but nothing terrific outside of Wisconsin. These last five games, if Ohio State's going to win the national championship, they will have earned it. Yeah. Because they beat Wisconsin early in the season at home, and then you just beat Penn State at home. Now you got to go on the road, beat Michigan, the number ten team in the AP poll, uh, and then you have to to win a Big Ten championship game, most likely against Minnesota. Um, then you will have to play a college semifinal game against what looks like it's going to be Clemson and maybe LSU if LSU drops, or they, maybe they move up to the four seed. Either way, they're going to have to play, you know, a top-four team in the country there. And then you will have to play another top-four team in the country immediately after. In the national championship. Yeah, they will have very much earned it because it does not get easier from Ohio State. The one thing you can say about Ohio State is their playoffs started this week, right? They have, if they're going to win a national championship, they've got one, two, three, four, five games against top-ten opponents straight. In yeah. a row, and th- that is—you stacked your schedule like that. I'm sure Ohio, if you ask Ohio State Ryan Day, 
he would have rather had you know a Penn State maybe sprinkled earlier in the season to kind of spread these big games out. Yeah, but you were getting very good competition for Ohio State right now. Yeah, because and then the thing is, uh, just like with the Fields, all you need is one major injury, or injury yeah. to Young, or injury to um, Fields, you could be in trouble. With also, the level of competition they're playing, any of those small little things can hurt them very bad. Even a bad, like for example, one defensive back gets out because, like, let's say you play Clemson, all their receivers are really, for lack of better use of words, they're really like that. So therefore, like, you can't really have any like deficiency. Yeah. Also, something to think about. I think Dabo Sweeney in the past five years is two and zero against Ohio State. He's beaten. Urban Meyer twice there, one, one of the playoff. And the other, I cannot think of the exact year, but it was the year Martavis Bryant went, decided he was going to the draft, him, Sammy, and Tosh. Yeah. So I'm sure he's looking his chops and ready yeah. to play Ohio State again. Yeah, he did. I mean, he had Ohio State's number, what was that, two, three years ago, 31 zip. They beat him in the college football playoff semifinal. Yep. I, don't, I didn't think Ohio State should have been in that year. Uh, but you are looking at the most complete Ohio State team, maybe, I don't know, Better, I'd say better than their national championship team from 2015, I think it was. This this team looks ridiculous. This uh, Justin Fields transfer worked out. And the fact that he was able to play immediately worked out perfectly in their favor. And happy that Tate Mart what was his name? Tate Martell. Tate Martell. Yeah, he's got, he uh, went to Miami. Miami. He wasn't even in attendance at the game. Yeah, Miami, who lost to Florida International and whose fans are having an absolute meltdown on Twitter. Uh, how do you lose to Florida International as Miami? Yeah, it's like I, for a program, I cannot even imagine like the group chats of the Ray Lewis's and the Michael Irvins and the likes of those guys. It's like, are you serious? Because a lot of people are saying on Twitter, it's like y'all ain't even the best team in Flo- uh, Coral Gables anymore. And that, <laughs> and that hurts. And that really hurts. All right, we'll move on right here. We got uh, A&M went to Athens Saturday. And, of course, they lost. Uh, I took Georgia minus for 13 and a half. I, don't, I keep believing Georgia will actually cover a spread. They can't. They, they, they do find a way to win these games. Their defense, incredible Saturday night. And it has been all year. They've got, what, the number two scoring defense in the country? I think Ohio State's one. Yeah. Clemson or Ohio State's one. Um, their defense just is controlling this game. But I will say this, this Georgia offense is not – what we think it is, you know, we look at Georgia offense. Georgia's offense on paper, you see an incredible offensive line. You see DeAndre Swift. You see some of the receivers that they have, and you see Jake Fromm, who has played, you know, countless big games in his career and has plenty of experience. They aren't playing as an offensive unit like they should be playing with the playmakers that they have. But their defense has certainly carried them because their offense, and why, the reason I say that is because their offense can never pull away from a game. They can never completely put their foot on the throttle and just and just go and put a game out of reach for a team. Is this the same offense corner they had the past couple of years? This is a new guy. Uh, this is this is a new guy, I believe. Um, and I, I'm I'm blanking on his name, but yeah, it, it's just it, it's. It's underwhelming is what it is. I know they're extremely thankful for this uh, defense they have. They held Isaiah Spiller to 11. Both their Okay, one of the running backs, Isaiah Spiller, uh, 11 carries for seven yards, and Kellen Mond was their second leading rusher who had nine carries for negative eight yards. So that's an outstanding job by the rush, de- rush defense for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, James Coley, by the way, offensive coordinator. Yeah, he was promoted in uh, January to offensive coordinator. 
but yeah, it, it's it's hard to watch you know Georgia with the playmakers that they have, and they can't pull away from any teams, and that's why I don't think they belong in the top. I wouldn't have them in my top four. It would be Alabama, because Alabama has that separation speed that that Georgia does not seem to have, and I think that is going to show very much in the LSU game here in two weeks now, uh, in the SEC championship game in Atlanta, because. LSU's defense, or Georgia's defense is good enough to keep LSU under 40. I don't think Georgia's offense is good enough to score 25 right now in a big game. That's exactly what I was about to ask. Like, if you, well, not to say that LSU's defense is that bad, but it it is pretty bad. But it's like, I wonder, can Georgia score against them? Because if you can't score against LSU defense, not to say they're, like, the worst in the country, but that's, like, it's a large margin there. Also, one thing to think about, it's kind of crazy to believe that Georgia kind of controls their own destiny. To get into the playoffs. Oh, they do for sure. I mean, they do for sure. Uh, this is a team that loses to South Carolina in October, which seems to not even matter now, which, I mean, we've, you know, said on this this show here, the lead block a few times. Um, but yeah, I mean, they beat LSU. They're in no matter what. And, and I think if they beat LSU, LSU's probably in too. And the final four you're looking at right now on, is the final four you're going to get because. Yeah. There's no way, unless Ohio State loses, there's no way Clemson's going to lose. So, yeah, so the Bulldogs will play Georgia Tech ne- next week. Georgia Tech no longer has that uh, triple option to, uh, offense, and that wouldn't really work to their advantage anyway, being that Georgia's rush defense is so good. So uh, No, I don't think <laughs> – as far as this game goes, this is – thank God that Georgia Tech – you stand, you do stand a chance at beating – I mean, Georgia obviously susceptible to the upset because it's already happened. Um but you do get you, – you can't run the ball on Georgia. That's yeah. not going to happen. You can maybe make some explosive plays here and there, maybe two in a game, that can get you 14 points and maybe you put one other drive together and score 21. And if your defense plays well, you can hold Georgia under 21. That's your only chance to win if you're Georgia Tech. I don't, I don't see that happening at all. See, Georgia, Georgia should, should win this game by 40. But seeing what we've seen from Georgia over the last – I don't know, 11 weeks now, 12, 13 weeks, however long it's been since we started this season, they won't score 40. Yeah. I, it's, just, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. I cannot get that through my head, how they are so good and so talented, and they just can't score like they have been able to with this same group of guys who have gotten better in the offseason because they just keep adding people. Yeah. It, it, it's incredible for me to watch. This is more or less, you know, a very similar team to what we saw two years ago when they played Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl and scored 50 points. Yeah, yeah. And so what it, actually what it's going to come down to is, like, where what are happened to these highly ranked uh, rec- uh, receivers and stuff like that? It's like where, or I guess if the question, can Fromm not get the ball to him? He, I mean, Fromm's played good. He didn't have an interception until the South Carolina game. That's six games into the season. And he's played okay since then. But it, it, it's just like... He goes 20 for 25, and maybe the reason, you know, we were talking here a month ago, we are like, man, I feel like every time we see Jake Fromm, we look at his stat line, and he's 20, 20 for 25. Uh, maybe the reason we don't, you know, see that Jake Fromm is because those play, none of those 20 passes are, are big, and they don't mean anything at the end of the day because they only scored, you know, 22, 23 points, which is good enough for him to win this year, no doubt. Um, with their defense, it's just I don't I, I can't understand. 
And then, as I was expecting, DeAndre Swift was the leading receiver with four catches for 29 yards. So, as far as receptions-wise, so it seems like he's also getting the ball a good bit to DeAndre. I think yeah. Fromm was pretty bad Saturday. Er, underwhelming. What was he, 11, 11 for 23? 11 for 23 for That's not a Jake Fromm line. Jake Fromm's usually much better than that. And, it's there. It, yeah, it was raining like crazy. And in the first half, he had the glove on. And you could tell he, he just bombed some balls down the field. And he couldn't get accurate. He takes the glove off and... and does a little better. It's really weird once rain gets involved in throwing the football with the quarterback. I don't like. It's obviously the rain has effect because the ball is wet. But Jake Fromm said, you know, they were saying on the CBS broadcast, he's played with a glove when it's rain, when it's rainy, and then he'll take it. He doesn't play with it normally. Um, he played with that glove for maybe two drives, and he threw a ball. Georgia got, Georgia was inside their own ten yard line. And he way overthrew a ball that he should have easily dropped in uh, down the left left hash, and he took that glove off and threw it out of the back of the end zone because he didn't you know couldn't throw the ball with it. Yeah, uh, which was interesting to see from kind of try to f- figure himself out. You, I don't know. I kind of would have thought you would have known going into that game. Georgia's expected rain all week. I mean, Kirby said it earlier in this press conference. It looks like the weather's going to be nasty Saturday, and we're going to have to play. And a lot of rain, you would have expected uh, from to come into this game already knowing kind of what he was wearing on the sands and maybe game plans and passes around that. Uh, I, I don't know. Georgia just looks kind of lost on offense. They win 19-13, A&M at home. A&M, this is the other side of this, this game. Texas A&M has four losses. Number five, Alabama. Number three, Clemson. Number 16, Auburn. Number four, Georgia. And next week they play uh, in Baton Rouge at number one LSU. I mean, one of the best schedules in the country, if not the best. Um, South Carolina is right up there with A&M's. A&M, the only advantage A&M has is, is the Auburn game, which South Carolina and Florida who beat Auburn in uh, LSU. But if you're in Texas, A&M is taking care of business in every other game. But I'm not going to give LSU or A&M, excuse me, any credit for this year because you were supposed to beat these teams. If you want to compete, you have to. You have to beat. I don't think anyone was expecting them to win all five of these games at the beginning of the year. But you've got to beat an Auburn at home, and you've got to find a way to beat a Georgia on the road because or Alabama. It, it, you you got to find a way to win those games, and they still got one more chance. I don't see them beating LSU next week. Maybe they can. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think we'll probably get a pretty good game out of that uh, next weekend, A&M and LSU. But it's just kind of weird for for A&M fans this year. So what do you say? You know, yeah, we beat all the teams we were supposed to beat. I don't think you can be pissed off with Jimbo yet, you yeah. know? And, and you're going to blame this year on scheduling. But A&M going forward, you know, if this was their schedule next year, they should win two out of two out of these five games minimum. Uh, it's something you got to do if you want to. You want to be the best team. You got to beat the best teams. For sure, this is exactly what they hired. Uh, ten years for Jimbo. Yeah, exactly what they hired Jimbo for. Cause, uh, Jimbo came, like I said before, and turned around Florida State. They hired him for the ten-year worth seventy-five million dollar contract, and it's like, no, we need to win these games. Like you said, probably at least two of them, maybe. They just want to be competitive in the SEC West, but I don't know. Now they're in the SEC, they want to win one. They want to know what it's like to. Represent the West in Atlanta. Absolutely, that. But I'll tell you what, AM fans, 
I don't think they're pissed with Jimbo yet. $60.5 million buyout. I don't think Jimbo's going anywhere for a, for a little while. But when it's time to pony up and they're ready to get rid of him, there'll be some there'll be some oil, uh, Texas oil money floating around to give Jimbo a 60 and tell him to book it. Uh, we'll move on quickly. We'll go around the SEC real quick. Um, let's see. Let me find my SEC sheet here. That would help. Oh, Bam, Mac Jones, fine. I, you know, like we kind of talked about the other day, I, Mac Jones is going to be okay. But everyone overreacting Saturday was kind of funny as the games went on. And I watched during the Georgia A&M game, they were talking, you know, four or five times. They said, Mac Jones did fine. They played Western Carolina. Let's not, don't give him any credit I don't, <laughs> for beating Western Carolina. But this is what I was saying, you know, Friday, there's enough playmakers there that it shouldn't, Mac Jones is not going to matter. Yeah. Um, he doesn't make mistakes. He's fine. And he's he's much better than if you look back at Alabama's old school game management type quarterbacks. Greg I mean, McElroy's. Yeah, the McElroy's, the McCarrens, the uh, John like, Parker Wilson's, you know, those guys. Yeah. Um, he's, he's better than that. So give him a little credit, but I don't want to hear all the hype about him today on uh, Monday about how great he was when they played Western Carolina. And that's something Alabama's got to clean up in their schedule and going forward. And, and I don't know, Nick Saban's made comments like they've tried to and no one wants to play him. I, maybe you need to start at the top in the SEC and restructure it completely because you can't have Alabama sitting at number five knowing how good of a team they are and not giving them a chance to prove it in, on November 23rd. This is a big week for your guy Jones because what's going to happen? This is going to be like the Alabama's last chance before the college football playoff, and they play Auburn. Yep. So it's like we're going to need to see how he looks against like a really good defense to determine whether he will, whether Alabama will get the fourth spot. I'm expecting Georgia to lose. So for Alabama to get that fourth spot or a team like Oklahoma. Yep. Auburn also just played a terrible. They played Samford this weekend. I don't. I don't care. I don't. Cannot care less about these games, and they don't mean anything. Yeah, it's so frustrating. Uh, Kentucky beat up on UT Martin, another game that just doesn't matter. Vanderbilt shout out win for the thirty-eight zip beat uh, East Tennessee State. Congrats to Vanderbilt. If you're Vanderbilt, you can schedule these kind of opponents because you need them to get a, get yourselves a couple wins. LSU Arkansas just domination. Dumb. Arkansas did score twenty points, uh, but LSU scored fifty-six, and Clyde Edwards-Helaire was. Everywhere Saturday, he was killing it. Yeah, he has six carries for 188 yards. I don't even want to do the math, but that's upwards of 30 yards a carry. And obviously, you know, it got different. And then the LSU had 309 yards of offense in the first half. So yeah, they were incredible. Dude. I watched like we watched a good bit of the first quarter, and I was like, man, this is. I want to watch this game uh, just to see LSU go off and watch how good their athletes are. Um, saw you know a little bit of Thaddeus Moss. Randy Moss's kid, you know, had a few catches there in the first, in the first quarter, and Burrow was doing well, and uh, Edwards Alaire was doing pretty well. And I was like, all right, I can't watch this anymore because I'm gonna get stuck watching LSU run up the score. Oh, the one thing I did want to say though, I don't know if you saw this today, but I saw it on Twitter. Coach O was asked after the game oh, if yeah. they celebrated for beating Arkansas, and he's like, no, we don't celebrate for beating Arkansas. We should beat Arkansas. I, thank you. Yeah, and then he also said Arkansas hasn't beaten anybody in a while now. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. Arkansas hasn't beaten anybody in a while. You're exactly right, Coach. O. I love that attitude of just being very aware of 
who you are and who you are playing. And I think that's what makes Coach O Coach O. And, and I think that's why his players play for him because he's real with them. He'll tell you straight up, look, we're not celebrating or beating the crap out of Arkansas. I know we play for a trophy, um, and it's a, old, it's a rivalry game. But it's Arkansas, and they suck, and they haven't won an SEC game in, like, three years. So we're not going to celebrate beating them by if, – if, even if they beat them by 300, I, I can't imagine Coach O would even think about celebrating, even letting out a good job, you know? Yeah, and two things about this. One, it's interesting how Coach O and his LSU team, they recruit those same Arkansas athletes. And, like, you watch that game, it's like – this is almost like watching, like, a – I don't know, like a Gardner Webb versus like a, I don't know, a Clemson. It's like these are the same athletes, but completely different. Also, also it shows how a lot of the better athletes are going to LSU. But I mean, they're recruiting kind of the like same. The same place. style. Yeah, yeah. yeah the but, same style guys. But one of these guys are clearly not like the other. Also, I was looking back at some old Coach O interviews with National Science Day. I want to say last year, and he's like doing the interview, and you hear some players behind him like cutting up and stuff. He like leaves the interview. And he's like, excuse me, just give me one minute. He like just goes yells and like rants at these guys like. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And then he walks back, and he just has ultimate control of the facility, and you love to see that. I think I once heard on ESPN, one of the commentators said, it's like when if when the head coach walks through his football facility, and if there's not like this moxie of that's the guy, and he's like, that's not the guy for your program. So you're, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, you're right. We'll go, we'll jump over to Mississippi State, who played Abilene Christian. Tennessee, bowl eligible. Tennessee is going to win, going to have a chance to win eight games this year. Yep. This incredible. They're going to have a chance to win eight games this year because they're going to get a bowl game and they're going to play Vanderbilt. And, I mean, there's not much more. They played good enough to win at Missouri the other day, um, Saturday. 24-20. Garantano was pretty good. Beating Kelly Bryant on the road. I know Missouri's been up and down all over the place this year. But when you beat an athlete like that who can take over a game and you can hold their offense to 20 points, and I know Missouri's been banged up on offense outside of Kelly Bryant too, um, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's a good win for Tennessee. And I think Tennessee fans, when the day is done, you can look back at the season and say, you know what, it didn't start how we want, and we're not happy with it, but it's a good start to next year because you knew you weren't going to compete this year anyway. Um, I mean, I we just I mean we talked about it last week. You go you you play that Georgia State and that BYU game back, and there 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 would be a shot to win ten games. Yeah, and it's crazy to think about like that. Like, and as we always say, it's like wow. And the Carolina fans never thought they would look at Tennessee like wow. I wish we were at their record. But also, <laughs> something to think about here is um, Garrett to know if. Ah. Garantano? Yeah, Garantano had another good game. He went 23 for 40 for 415 yards and two touchdowns. Their receiver, 15, Juwan Jennings. Is Juwan really, Jennings is really good. You know, he got kicked off the team right whenever before Pruitt staff came in. They brought him back on and is really showing that they did. That seems to be a there. theme with Pruitt. And there's a couple other that Bryce Thompson supposed to be kicked off and he got reinstated or was kicked off and he got reinstated. Uh, maybe some character issues at Tennessee, but we'll look past that for now. Um, we'll jump back to the Big Ten for a bit real quickly. Michigan, who was number 13, head into the weekend, beat Indiana 39-14. An impressive win, like we said on Friday. Indiana's been a good football team this year. Michigan's offense is killing it right now. 
They are rolling. Shea Patterson is steamrolling teams. Um, this is the right time for them to be on a roll, too, heading into play Ohio State. You're right. Their last, like, four games, they've scored, like, 40 points each. Yeah. It's incredible. And Michigan is just quietly just keep coming. Now they've crept their way into the AP Top 10. Obviously, college football playoff rankings don't get released until Tuesday evening this week. But for right now, they're in the Top 10 in the AP. And, I mean, they're, they've got – I don't know how much of a shot it is, but they do have a shot at beating Ohio State – if they keep playing like this, they're going to have to play a different brand of football next week, though. And I mean, they're going to have to make just zero mistakes. Indiana, good team. Michigan, 39-14, big win for them. Uh, and like we said earlier, that Ohio State game, right now, the Michigan-Ohio State game is a lot more interesting than it was looking like it was going to be five weeks ago. 100%. Um, best game I watched all day Saturday. And I... I can't stand it, but I fell asleep in the fourth quarter. Washington State, Oregon State, in Pullman. Uh, senior day for Washington State. Cool moment for the Holinsky family on the oh, I saw that, yeah. on the field beforehand. If you haven't seen it, their Washington State football account has tweeted out a few times, and you can just search Washington State Senior Day on Google and, and find a few stories. I'm sure uh, they honored their seniors honored Tyler Holinsky, their who would be a senior who died in 2018 uh, on the field Saturday. Really cool moment before the game. Mike Leach was out there hugging and shaking hands with the Linsky parents. And then we get to the game here. 54-53, an incredible game, back and forth all night. Started kind of slow. Second half, just bombs all over the place. Touchdown, touchdown, every three seconds. Touchdown. I had alerts on for this game. Because I had the over in this one, and every time I get, you know, somebody scored, I'm getting a, a, an alert. My phone was just constantly going off. Uh, I, I just kept hearing. I had it in the other room, and I could just hear it just beeping for every every second. I just touchdown happened. It's incredible. Two records set. Uh, Washington State now bowl eligible. By the way, school record fifth straight season that they're bowl eligible. Uh, they scored a touchdown with one second left to win this game. I hate that I fell asleep. <laughs> I fell asleep, and they both, it was like 42, 42 or something like that in the low 40s, and, and I'm, I'm really pissed at myself. But Anthony Gordon, Washington State quarterback, set two Pac-12 season records Saturday. Passing touchdowns, 45. The previous was 43 held by Jake Browning. Remember him? Jake Washington. Browning, Washington, yeah. And a guy named Jared Goff. So not that old of a record, but a pretty good company right yeah, there. Yeah, that's a good company to be in. Passing yards, he broke that record as well with 4,920 to date. You know, as of this week, he's going to get over 5,000. I would imagine he'd get 80 yards next week against Washington. The previous was 4,779 held by Gardner Minshew, Jags quarterback. Gardner set that record last year. I mean, it looks like Mike Leach, if he stays in Washington State, is just going to keep creating senior quarterbacks who will just one-up each other every year, and I'm sure – uh, Anthony Gordon's records will be broken within the next two years as long as Leach is there and they, they get a good quarterback in. He threw for 606 yards Saturday. <laughs> Six touchdowns. Threw three picks, but three picks didn't matter at the end of the day because they won. Yeah. I mean, 606 yards. That was like the only... I mean, six, you don't see 606 yards. I guess the only the best passing game ever was probably Texas Tech and Oklahoma when you had Baker versus uh, Pat Mahomes there. Yeah. 
what five four or five years ago now, and they both threw for like eight hundred passing yards. Yeah, that's yeah. ridiculous. I don't even. The oh final yeah, score Texas Tech like, versus Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was Oklahoma, and just an incredible game. I, Great game in Pullman Saturday night. Just to think about it, most quarterbacks, you you tip their hat to them, they have 300 yards. Oh, you know, yeah, that's a good so, game. That's so the really fact that you're having 600, that, that is absolutely insane. And obviously uh, uh, Washington State's offense caters to lots of passing yards. That's yeah. the reason you see these records being broken, and then you look, and the previous record was held by their quarterback from last year. Uh, their offense sets up for that. But Anthony Gordon has been extremely accurate this year. I looked at it. His completion percentage is somewhere around 72%. He's thrown, uh, I don't know, he's, had, he's got like over 400 completions this year. He threw the ball 70 times Saturday night. <laughs> Crazy. 70 times. That's like you're doing routes versus air in practice, like where there's no defense out there. That is, that's, that's excellent right there. And he's 50 for 70. And their running back had a few touches. He was pretty good. <laughs> like it wasn't like their running back didn't touch the ball at all. He touched the ball quite a few times. We'll move to... Crazy Big Twelve shootouts. Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, the yeah, it's Washington State is just their own brand of football, and you're going to see a lot of points. And it's like watching, you know, now up in that corner of the country, it's like watching the Big Twelve almost, which they've gotten away from it a little bit outside of Oklahoma. But in the Big Twelve, th- two years ago, you know, every game is forty-five, forty-five at some point like that. Um, yeah, it's it's great to watch. Move from the Pac-12. To the Big Twelve, Texas, dead. Yeah, but you go to Baylor. I get Baylor was the favorite and they're supposed to win, but that was a pathetic performance. They were down twenty four three. They scored a garbage time touchdown to to make it twenty four ten. This has got to be one of this has got to be this this season's got to hurt. Yeah, you know a lot more than even some of the Charlie Strong years because at least those years you you, you knew you were gonna be bad. You got Tom Herman. He's supposed to be your guy. You know. You got Ellinger, you got plenty of other playmakers, you had a decent defense coming in, and it, they got gutted by LSU at the beginning of the year, and they, you know, you're walking around with your DBU shirts on, and here we are in week 13, and you're losing by two touchdowns to Baylor. Um, they're now fifth in the conference and behind Iowa State, so. Yeah, oh I mean, my. they're just not a good, they're just not good. If they got some years, and oh man, that, that really sucks. And then, like I said, you always look to the Red River rivalry, where the, or when they're big rivals, Oklahoma's just killing the game right now. And so it's, it's just disappointing to be a Texas fan. And I've Sam Ellinger, Sam Ellinger, Ellinger is going to always hate the fact that he did the you know the whole we're backs thing because obviously they throw that in his face every single time they lose a the game. Yeah, I don't think that's fair because I think at the end of last season for Georgia to to win and beat, or for excuse me Texas to win and beat Georgia. Uh, I love that Ellinger saying we're back because they were back, but now they're not not back. You know, this is the second coming of them being not back. Yeah. Um, maybe they'll be. You know, they should be back. And nine months ago they were, and now they're not. I get well more than that, like ten months ago. I wonder how they were big back their uh, seasons change if they beat Tech, if they beat LSU off the rip. What was the score to that game anyway? It was. It, it was like a four-point game. It was 42 Yeah, 45-38. 45-38, okay. Um, wow. Close game, yeah. That that certainly changed the way that – but their season wasn't over at all. I mean, Texas could have still made the college football playoff yeah. even with that one loss. Especially you look at it now, if Texas ran the table from then on, they lose by seven to LSU at home. Alabama did the same thing. You know, and Texas would have better wins had they gone undefeated than Alabama has. 
uh, Texas would be right there five, four, five, if not four, in the college football playoff. So it wasn't like that game really cost them anything. Um, that is just a terrible season. Now they're just barely bowl eligible. Yeah, and it's just like a down season for them at this point. But, yeah, because that's like one of the main reasons you and you schedule out of conference a really good team. So, therefore, if you lose games, like at least we went out and played one of the better teams that we didn't have to. Yep. Quickly, I wanted to mention this. Harvard and Yale. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah. So, a gr- great game. I didn't watch any of it, but, I, I mean, I kept seeing the updates. They went to double overtime. Yale was down big in the first half. They go to double overtime, and Yale ends up winning 50-43. to I think they got a share of the Ivy League title this year, uh, which I couldn't care less about. I mean, that's just – who cares? But during halftime, students from both universities organized a sit-in on the field, which ended up delaying the game for – it was like a climate strike protest or climate protest. I don't – yeah, climate change. Or climate change protest. I don't know. What, I don't think protest is the right. They're protesting the way people approach climate change, I guess. But that they let that go on for an hour, for over an hour, and whatever you want to say about the protest, I don't really care. How do you, as a football like security and things, how do you <laughs> let that go on for well over you know? Ten minutes. That should have been cleared out immediately. When you saw kids coming onto the field, you should have been yanking kids and throwing handcuffs on them and getting them out of there. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like how does that happen? It sounds like a situation of where the uh, the people who participate were like, "It's too many of us." Yeah, uh, and not enough I mean, of them. them. They're successful. And then with the event staff, I, this is going to be interesting because like you, you always see the event staff, but it's like just you know somebody's dad, somebody's grandfather, whoever they just top out there, and it's like so they really couldn't control it. So you actually sounds like in this situation you actually need more police officers and, le- and less event staff because event staff didn't really do anything. They just kind of oh well something's happening. They move out the way. A lot of times very similar how whenever you have the games where the uh, fans storm the field, it's like the event staff say like, hey stop stop stop. But in the, on like in the back of their minds like if this kid's charging at me, I'm not about to you know like stop. Most yeah. Let them go. So there was a couple hundred kids who did this um, from both universities, and I, I was reading a story in the AP this morning that they had they ended up having you know over a hundred cops there to escort people off the field and and think I don't I just don't get how this you let this happen. Also, if you protest whatever, why did you go to the football game if you don't care about the football? I wanted to. I mean, I was just kind of upset. <laughs> I was, to watch the, the game. game was kind of interesting <laughs> at one point, and it was delayed for over an hour, and I just forgot about it. Um, this is I'm going to hop on this for a quick second. This yes. is the very thing that they say is dangerous about sports. Generally, people go to watch sports so they can be like into what's going on and get away from like whatever political thing. Yep. It's like, but this is what the NBA is having big problems with. It's like now it's starting to enter the sports, and so I don't. And in a game like this is like they're not making too much money off of TV revenue, so it's like no. now this is like now the people who were watching it, in fact, are now no longer watching it. So it's going to be interesting as the years continue how they how that continues to change because. It used to be at one point it was like sports is sports, but now sports is kind of like a, a chance for an athlete, an athlete, or a, in this case, a fan to kind of put out their political differences and like. Make you it bring like up a, an, a great point, um, and this is something we've I've discussed in classes and stuff with professors and and the sports and the combination of sports and political beliefs and other beliefs. I do it, it is. And I saw this comment on Twitter of, of 
first of all, the dumbest comment I saw on Twitter about it is there's always some dumb comment. Is in in the hundreds of people that liked her. If you liked this tweet, you were dumber than the person who tweeted it. Complaining about ESPN from cutting away from showing the people on the field during the climate strike because, quote, ESPN was too scared to show or didn't want to give their climate strike thing. Uh, I keep saying climate strike. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, publicity, but they should have. You are an idiot. ESPN now has a policy. They cannot show anyone who, who goes onto a field or charges a field or anything of that capacity because they've gotten sued for it. Oh. That's why they won't show that. And that just that dumb, false narrative just pisses me off. Because you didn't look into anything or check your facts before you just threw that on the internet. And it was a blue check mark, who I saw it did it, <laughs> which looks even worse. And you should be stripped of every social media account you have for just, just spreading false news uh, or a false narrative. But you bring up an interesting point there, and I'm interested to see where you sit on it. But I'm very much in the line of I don't want politics in sports because that's not why I, sports is, you know, a break from all of the the world's kind of whatever else is the good thing about sports has always been no matter who you're you know who you vote for or what church you go to or if you go to church or what you do on Friday night with your free time or Sunday morning with your free time the person you're sitting next to in the stands on Saturdays and sitting in the same colors as you you're all kind of you're there for one thing and that's the even playing field and so for me, sports is that it's that right. It's it's not a time for politics. You're here for to get away from that, and it it gets it's annoying to me. And I get that's I get the arguments against it, I guess. Um, but I I don't know. I, I I get frustrated when things like this happen, and we try to steer you know, or or media tries to steer away from it uh, as far as like just getting back to the game or whatever because I think there are a lot of people like me who just want to watch the game so they don't have to think about all the other things that go on. Yeah, because otherwise it kind of, I know it's like a, a like a jump off the bridge but kind of CNN type thing because now you're getting into like politics of it versus it just being like the sport which is, you know, like ESPN, the worldwide of sports. I... I kind of sit on this, and this is, I'm going to have to really think about this, but, like, right off of the rip, if you ask me now, I kind of, I'm okay with it as long as it doesn't, like, intervene with, like, the sport of play. So, like, for example, with the Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick situation, he kneeled when it's time to play, and they keep it moving, and we go into the game. Yeah. Like, now this hour thing where it's, like, now you're cutting into the actual game, it's like, wait a minute, what is this? Like, yeah. wait, wait, wait a minute, like, okay, this has a time, this place. Sure, do that during halftime. I don't care. Maybe run around and uh, have flags, do whatever. But, like, once the game's about to continue, you know, when it hits 0-0 and it's time for the third quarter, it's all right, hop off. But the fact that y'all are, like, having to sit in during a game, it's kind of like what is really going on. And I'm hoping that this doesn't continue and start going to, like, most of the other, like, you know, This wouldn't happen in the SEC. And we, we might see it in the Pac-12. Yeah. At maybe a Cal Berkeley game. That yeah. wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. In the SEC, you would be ripped off the field by your hair by every person. <laughs> and I don't think there's people who go to SEC football games who don't want the game to happen. You know, football is the biggest thing happening there. Uh, and then I'd say in most places that's that's probably true. Yeah, you did. There's just an interesting thing that kind of happened this weekend that kind of like makes you think about like, all right, well, if you don't care about football, then why are you at the football game? Yeah. 
And I, that's kind of always been my take is and maybe it's like an old school way of thinking about it, but I don't really care. Like it is football, you know, there's time for politics and there's, but that's not here. That's, that's not why we're here. We're, we're here to play a game. That actually kind of makes you think it's like the kids and not, I don't have anything against science students, like be great science, but it's like, it makes me like the <laughs> science student that doesn't really come to the game. He's like, yo, I heard we're having a climate sit in or whatever during the game. Like, All right, we'll come. And it's like, you kind of wait, kind of like the same thing as like people who watch the Super Bowl commercial, but don't actually really watch Super Bowl. Yep. And so it's like, I'll come, I'll sit there. I'll By sit the way, there. Super Bowl commercials suck now. Yeah. I don't like them anymore either, but it's like, I'll just come to the game so that we can, can do this thing. We get to interrupt the game. Cause you know, a lot of times people don't like athletes anyway, cause of how they are around campus. So let's go yeah. interrupt their game. We're going to go sit in here and cause the game. I hate that. I absolutely hate it. I hope, uh, they tighten up security. So this doesn't happen anywhere else around the country. Yeah. It's, it's annoying. Yeah. And kind of, and it's, it's interesting to talk about, uh, Quickly, we will do. We're at the end of the show. We're we're running a little longer than normal, I think. Here, um, what picks went three three and one on the week. I had, I had seven this week. Three three and one. Got to push at Oklahoma State, West Virginia. Um, I won't recap them for you, but if you go on the Action Network app, if you have the Action Network app, follow me at Tyler Walters CNR. All my picks from the show are on uh, my profile, and you can follow me, view everything. We're still we're still positive on the year, but I've had a few average weeks. Not bad weeks, average weeks. Um, we're still like 58% on the year in college football. And we want to mention this. This week is a little different with it being Thanksgiving. Obviously, we're students, so our schedule is different. And I think, you, what, you're leaving. Wednesday Matthew's morning. going out of town Wednesday morning. And our normal recording time is Thursday afternoon. We're not going to record on Thanksgiving Day. So what we're going to do is we are taping a college football rivalry week special. It will be released on Wednesday. Um, it won't be like our normal show. We, we won't go into as much game detail on every game, but we're going to give you more of a, a history and the fun things in rivalry. And I, we tossed this idea around last week, and I think this will be – good for people to listen to um, because there's a lot of interesting stories in college football and it sums up kind of our, I think our season, you know, that we've had doing the show, doing the lead block is the reason we kind of watch these games is, and the reason why college football is just the premier sport uh, in, you know, the South and definitely around Columbia. And I think, you know, in other parts of the country, maybe too is Everything that goes into it, it's not just the football game. It is the entire community and the whole school and the little weird stories that have happened over the hundreds of years of each school and, and the going back and forth and the rivalries. So we've already started shaping the show, and it's look, it looks really fun, and we're going to have a lot of fun bringing it to you and talking about it, and we'll go through a bunch of different rivalry games and tell you different things about it, and we'll talk about the game this year for a split second. And if the game has any major implications, obviously we'll jump in and, and kind of, you know, have a regular show about that portion of that game. But bring this up. So if you want any rivalry games um, mentioned in our show, please DM us or find some way to contact us. DM on Twitter or Instagram is at the lead underscore block is the best way to do it, or Matthew at Matt the Chosen One, myself at Tyler Walter CNR. Um, 
comment on our post on the post to this show when we tweet out the link or put up the link on any other social media and just get to us on what games you want to see you want to learn more about right and because we're already doing you know a bunch of research and trying to find different weird stories on all these rivalry games this week and yeah it would be great to know if there's anything that we missed we've got a lot so i think we've got probably 15 20 games to go through yep trying to cover all of them yep and and that'll be good so on that note Go follow the show on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at the lead underscore block. Go follow Matthew at Matt the Chosen One with the number one. Myself at Tyler Walters CNR. Um, go rate, subscribe, review on iTunes, follow on Spotify. Uh, make sure you tell your friends, your parents, your coworkers, whoever about the show. Help us grow our following. Um, we'd like to say a special thank you to Ben Sound for our intro and outro music for the show. If there's Anything else you want in the show next week, any special topics like we said, please find us, and we will be more than glad to talk about it. Uh, college football playoff rankings out Tuesday. Um, getting interesting here. I, I think there will be some interesting moves between 5 and maybe 15. Um, and the top four is not going to change. And then the next week, you know, we got two weeks here. It's College football is at a really good spot right now. You've got good teams playing Good teams in the Big Ten um, because of the way Ohio State's schedule is shaped up this year at the end. And you've got, you know, Iron Bowl obviously has some implications if Alabama were to lose. And then from there we go to championship week, and it's wrapping up. So we're getting there. Um, I think that's it from us. You got anything? No, nah, that's it. All right. We will see you Wednesday then. Be sure to turn your – to subscribe and turn notifications on so you can know when the show drops and drop Wednesday morning whenever you wake up. We'll see you then. This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work on garnetmedia.org.